Welcome, everybody, to the latest episode of Bad Context. I'm your host, Ryan Shriver, CTO of Singlestone. And today, I'm happy to welcome my good friend, Gabrielle Benefield, founder of Mobius. Welcome to the program, Gabrielle. Hey, thanks, Ryan. Where are you joining us from again? Uh, Porto in Portugal. So it's northern Portugal. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. So, so Gabrielle, we're going to jump right into it. Tell us, uh, our audience, a bit about yourself and a bit about Mobius. Okay, so yeah, I work in Mobius, um, which is a navigator to help us deliver the outcomes that matter. So I've got a big background in Agile, and one of the things that was driving me crazy is people delivering a lot of features faster, but not really making a difference. In fact, often doing the opposite, delivering a lot of things that made our products a lot more complicated to use. So that started a journey, um, and I actually met Ryan pretty early on with a guy called Tom Gilp, who's the we call him the godfather of Agile, really early both Agilist and uh, outcome thinker. So this is an amazing way to change the game, to really think about how do we deliver something that makes people's lives better rather than just more rubbish that we have to throw away. And uh, part of that was coming up with a simple and visual language. And I like the topic of today being all about problem solving, because essentially that's what we're doing. We're always trying to solve real problems for real people. Yeah, you know, it's funny, because I first got to know you through a paper, I think, when you were um, at Yahoo, and you sort of scale Agile. And you, you, for a long time, you were kind of an Agile Scrum sort of, sort of product person. You've always leaned that direction. And then, you know, was it the visual of it? What led you to sort of saying, hey, there's a new way of doing this, and, and to get into, and we can see Mobius sort of behind you there, to get into more of this visual, what, what helped you pivot from, from there to, to, to sort of Mobius? Actually, I'm going to backtrack because previous to Yahoo, so while Yahoo was the first big scale agile, and I think it was one of the sort of two beginners in the world, um, I was at a startup in San Francisco. And there, I just remember being in the, um, one of those sort of boardroom meetings with all the directors and just them saying, right, we need all these features. We need to get them out because they wanted to IPO, so have a liquidity event. And I just sort of stopped and I looked at them and went, but why do we need more features? I said, tell me this, when you go to Amazon, do you go there every week because you're waiting for the latest and greatest feature? And they're like, well, no, no, we want to buy something. We want to make that as easy as possible. So I said, let's look at this differently. So um, we actually gathered a lot of data and um started to use that to inform our decisions. So then it really changed from everything being about shiny, happy features to how do we change the experience? And simple things, you know, just better geographical targeting, for example, or better searches, they had this insane amount of uptake with our customers. So our outcomes, the whole company became really outcome driven. And while we used Agile and Lean and XP and continuous delivery type stuff, it's, um, that made the biggest difference. And when I went to Yahoo, that's when I realized how important it was because that was all about let's do lots of agile. And so they really wanted to do Scrum across the company. It was seen as being really a good thing. And it, it, there's nothing bad about it, but the, the missing piece was trying to get the um, C-suite to get behind the idea of outcomes. Instead, it was, you know, just more and more features being pushed out the door. And, you know, looking back, we know what happened to Yahoo. So I, I then became my mission ever since to really tell people, you know, think about the outcomes. And let's, let's get the terminology right, because outputs, think about outputs. Um, I have a great picture somewhere of a remote control for the TV with lots of buttons on it. And each button, think of them like an output. 
And the outcome is really to be able to change the channel, watch what you want to watch and have some control over that experience. So actually the less buttons is directly correlated with a better TV remote experience. So when we talk about outcomes, think about the improvement, that desired improvement you want to make um, that makes everything better versus all the actions and things you take to get there. So trying to do the least amount possible to do it. Yeah, that's something I, I was influenced by the way you think is once you nail your outcomes, the goal is to do the least amount of work possible to, to achieve yeah. that sort of Be lazy. Be super lazy. That's why you like to run. <laughs> we yeah, like yeah. To run. <laughs> Call me out there. So, uh, so when you get engaged with customers these days, walk us through sort of how you help them um, through this sort of problem solving process. Can you sort of explain how you, how you help them navigate? Yeah, I'm going to do that. And I'm such a visual person. Yeah. I kind of think in images. So we're going to do a little experiment and I'm going right. to share my screen. There's this whole notion. If you want to be good at problem solving, you've got to go through this process to understand the problem, understand how that helps you create solutions and then create the desire to want to solve the problem. So that last part I'm going to go into a little bit later, but um, if you look at this, this is simply looking at on the right, you can see a classic sort of scrum agile, like let's deliver lots of stuff. Let's build the right, uh, build the product right. And on the left, that discovery design thinking, let's um, build the right product. And this is really what Mobius is. It's taking you on this journey um, from being able to discover what is the problem we're trying to solve, who we're solving it for, how do we do that? What are the options we can come up with? And then being able to validate that pretty fast. So those are the three parts to it. And if you look at the steps, the first thing I always do when I look at problems, you know, I love the problem. So I ask people, why are we doing this? So they, they say something like, oh, you know, we need a new CRM. We need a mo mobile app. And I'm like, but why? Why do you need it? You know, so what we're trying to do is find out what they think the problems are. So dig into the problems then we need to understand that more deeply. So this is where um, creating empathy for the problems. I'm big on getting my development teams and I'm talking about, you know, architects, um, engineers, hardcore techies often, and I need to get them out in the field because I want them to not only see the problem firsthand, but really care about solving it. So I'll give you an example of this. Um, I was working with a police department and one of the ex-police women was saying, you know, I, I work in software for government, and she said, it's really frustrating because we're building these horrible products no one likes to use. And this is for the police people to enter all their reports, you know. And she said, it's mind-numbingly hideous to use. And she said, I can't get the people to care. I tell them it's important, but they don't care. I said, okay, well, do you know people in the police department? She said, yeah. And I said, okay, how much would it cost to get like a, you know, Uber van or something? And she said, I don't know, about $20, you know, not far. I said, okay, would they spend time? She said, yeah. And I said, well, Okay, set up a guerrilla research. So get your team, you know, six of them all together, jump in this taxi van, um, go into the police um, department and take them a present. You always have to, you know, give people something for their time, which <laughs> I jokingly suggested donuts. And she went, yeah, they actually do like donuts. And a quick aside, why donuts matter is apparently they're the ultimate stakeout food because they're sugar, they're sweet and salt and they don't go off. So great that they say kind of weirdly fresh, if you can call them fresh over time. So they took those and went and watched them. And after like two hours, the team felt so bad because you get this old police guy coming in at the end of a shift. He's not super technical, right? He sits down and he's exhausted and he has to deal with mind numbingly awful forms, horrible system. 
So they just went back and started rebuilding the system. They kept saying, oh, you know, what does Jeff need? And so half the battle is getting people to care about the problem. They have to be able to see it. Then you can start building solutions. So to understand a problem, if you set what we call the target outcomes, which are the measurable improvement state. So imagine you said, well, it takes Jeff, you know, you know two hours to enter his report. We want to make that better. We want to make that, you know, it should take less than five minutes, ideally. What would that take? Then once you can set that up, you've been really specific about here's the direction of improvement. We want to reduce time. We want to improve the usability. Then we can go into creating solutions. So you don't, don't jump into solutions. Number one problem, we all see it. Someone says, I have a problem. We go, I know what the solution is. I, I do it constantly myself. It's hard not to keep trying to solve the wrong problems. So then we can generate our ideas. This is where we start going, well, we've got all these things we could potentially do, and these become our guesses, and we wanna then decide which ones we're going to, which ones can make the biggest difference. We can select those, get them ready, and then we're gonna go into our classic kind of validating, which is where we do something pretty quick. You know, These are things that within two days sometimes we can get something out. Those developers could go back, build something that the next day this guy Jeff can test, we can say, did it make his life better? Did it improve the outcomes? And then we improve. And we keep doing this kind of continual loop because with any problems, though it's super complex, I've made it look like it's a quick flow, but it's really not. Because as soon as we do something, it gives us more understanding. And there's this notion as you come around the loop of feeding that forward. So you always want to be looking at how do we bring this information further and use that to continuously improve what we're doing. So, you know, getting this idea of the problem, then trying many things. And sometimes you realize, hey, I got it wrong. We're solving completely the wrong problem. There's a lot more here. And so that's why it's this continuous, you know, quite um, complex world that we live in. Yeah, it's interesting. But, it, you know, to your point, it's better to discover you're solving the wrong problem before you've invested lots of time and energy and coding and all that to figure out, uh-oh, you know, at least – you know, what I love on here is you, you do focus. I learned a lot from you in terms of the actual stuff. We all came from that sort of background, but the, to the left, that discovered piece was always the missing piece in my sort of experience. And I spent a lot of the last, you know, six, seven years. Design thinking has been helpful. A lot of the work you've done has been helpful. And then also connecting it to the outcomes. It's funny, the word outcomes, you know, 10 years ago, when we sort of started on this, like it wasn't a, a, a well-known term. And these days, it just seemingly is all over the place. Even when I look at, some of the agile, you know, focus. And so it feels like things are catching up that, that you know, it is a focus on outcomes. Um, and that's one of the things I've loved about the way you frame this is once you nail the outcomes, then let's think about what are different options for achieving those outcomes. And that being the primary criteria versus whatever the product owner thinks we should do, they should put it top of the list and we, and we just build it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's really interesting when you watch the patterns, um, with how people solve problems. I watched some of your other um, interviews and, you know, we do have a similar pattern. We might come at it from very different approaches, but um, everybody I heard speak about it went through the same process to say, well, let's frame up and try to capture what the problem is. Let's dive down and try to understand it deeply. And that means, you know, gathering data, observing, really trying to, you know, be the problem yeah. <laughs> and then, out of that starting to come up solutions and testing them out it's it's be if whether you're an artist a musician a 
child, you know, all of us go through this. So um, I find it interesting more, why do you think, this might be a question for you too, Ryan, why do you think we don't do this? What do you think is the biggest reason that we don't sort of look through problems? And do you want me to stop sharing, by the way? I can easily. That's fine. Thank you, Colin. Um, I think I feel, and you, just, you referenced it earlier, time and time again, I mean, I'm consulting, and we get called in once they've figured out the solution, and they want you to just come build it, right? And so, you know, a lot of times you have to go back up to your point, okay, what problem are you solving? What has that been informed by? And a lot of that hasn't happened because some executive wants to go out and, and solve it this way, and the team is dispatched to say, go do it. And they don't spend critical time thinking and going back. So I think a lot of the, what I observe is, it starts on almost the right side of the, they've all made a decision. It's everything to the right you have with the loop and that's almost a starting point. Um, and then the pressure and dates and getting things done, a lot of times there's a feeling of, oh, we don't have time for that. With, which in retrospect, you, you and I know that that's, if you're gonna learn, that's a time, but you know, dates drive, at least here in the US, you know, dates drive a lot of things. And so what's known is this is the date and we've already made a solution or decision. Now it's just about, you know, what do we need to build and, and how fast do we need to build it, unfortunately. But I do see it changing, though. I, I have seen in the last three to five years organizations that are spending dedicated time on the discovery. The only downfall is I've seen one organization spend four months on discovery before they built anything. And I think that's also the, a downside is if you really get wrapped in research, you can research forever, you know, and yep. so something has to trigger yeah, this just starts looking like waterfall, right? Where you go back into deep discovery. And that's why these should be short, fast feedback loops. Um, one of the clients I had in healthcare when we were doing some work and they were, uh, they had a six month kind of um, user experience research set up with a hospital. And we were saying, well, you know, you're going in the next week, you know, what can we get done that week? And the developers was, and the, the people were like, well, we might take three months. And then the developers were like, no, why are you there? Can you just start sending problems back next week? Why you're in there? Why don't we fix them? We'll push it back. See if the software works better. Why do we have these long? And it was really amazing. People just suddenly went, oh yeah, that makes so much sense. Why wait? Why not just get the stuff going? Because if you spot something that's a big enough pain point, why would you wait? And I, I think this goes for even our process. I use this approach to redesign process for people and we'll get them to. That's actually a better way to put it. Help others help themselves, really. And when we look at it, we say, well, um, why do you even wait with retrospectives? You have to wait for two weeks or something to get that feedback. This is on a daily basis. You want to bring that learning back in. So I think having a feedback loop is a really nice uh, visual model because often either we're just sort of spinning around or it's very linear. When you hear about delivery pipelines, yeah. pipelines a terrible term. It's one way. It's like it goes out to sea and then it's lost forever. So I, I think you're right. This this um, balancing act of doing things rapidly, but you can be fast by not doing as much. So back to that lazy analogy, you know, if we can find really simple ways to get to the outcomes, um, and again, taking a bit of time to understand the problem isn't a waste. It's not slow, that actually speeds us up. It, it's counterintuitive, but it really does. And the other thing I noticed in, in, in teaching this is outcomes is one of the hardest thing for people they get it conceptually, but they didn't sit down and put it 
and, and to form is often a tough exercise. And then it's not an easy thing to measure many times. You, you know this as well. So what is easy to measure? The number of story points, uh, velocity, you know, all these activity-based metrics are relatively easy to measure. And so that's what's measured or mattered, not how much progress are we making you know, to our outcomes or can we even measure them and find them? That's another big gap I've seen is even when people are like, yeah, yeah outcomes, it's like, we got to measure them. Oh, how are we going to do that? Actually, yeah, that gets back to that point, Nisa, the whole building this empathy and understanding. And I think you've got to make it relatable. In the um, the class I run for Mobius, we actually do a health hack. And it's about, it's, it's almost like life coaching using this yeah. approach. And uh, last time I was in Japan, I did a class in November and then one right before lockdown in March. And so we were out at drinks and one of the guys from the last class turned up didn't have a lot of English, right? But he said the first thing he did was held up his phone and he had this tracker, like a health tracker. And he said, I've lost seven kilos since the November class. And he said, it's because he was the subject. So we did a whole health hack to figure out him, why, why was he not healthier? How did he lose weight? We used this whole framework. And that became so clarifying that it gave him an ability to really understand this on a personal level. And it turns out it's easier we understand it personally to then apply it to our workspace. And the, you know, one of the big, you know, those sort of, oh, I messed up big time. I had a client where we dove straight into their real world problems, which turned out to be immense and complex, not something for a two day class. And we kind of missed the point. It, it was too hard. You have to start people off in a relatable, simple enough way, like training wheels. And that's why these structures, I get people going, well, it looks kind of linear and I'm like, but it's not in reality, but you've got to start with a simple enough structure to start getting people to think in a very disciplined sort of think about problems, don't jump straight to solutions. Then they can start having a lot more freedom because you're moving around the loop at different times. It does get more complex, but again, to teach the stuff, I'm a big fan of make it relatable, keep it simple enough. And when people are ready, bring in more complexity that they can handle. Because big problems, um, one of the takeaways I really liked from your other talks were this idea, I think one of the first ones you did with Don was to break things down into manageable chunks, right? And that's what we're doing. A problem understood is half solved. So that's what we need to do first. Yeah, and so, you know, one of the other things I've been thinking about Mobius is you're not very prescriptive. It's not a certain methodology, you know? So, so talk to me about that sort of purposefully that, that on the delivery side, you know, Mobius doesn't make, doesn't say you should use, you know, Scrum or, or Yeah, I wonder if I've got a picture here. Let me have a quick look. This is where I was framing out something to help people because I find, you know, there's many ways you can see these questions. This is from my book, but framing the problem. There's a lot of different ways to frame the problem. It's like generate ideas, right? I've got something called crazy eights. Um, how might we rewind the future? All these sorts of approaches, and on the right loop, I've got things taken from Agile, from Kanban, from, you know, whatever. And when people start telling me things like, you know, oh, Kanban's better than Scrum or Safe or whatever, I don't, I don't buy into that. I'm like, you know what, there's many ways to do this stuff. And actually, what you'll find with experience is people who know how to mix and match this. I think we've moved beyond the one right way approach. I think there's a lot more complexity and we have our own ways of doing things. Each each context is different. And I, I've, I like that idea of having structure but freedom, this idea of liberating structures that allow us to be agnostic. Um, 
one of the Red Hats, they, some of the guys there started, Tim Beatty started the Open Practice Library. And that's a collection of all these different methods that they've laid out around Mobius. And again, it just shows the diversity. And one of my favorite things is seeing, we call them, you know, these Mobius hacks. I liken it to when you go on a recipe site, you get all these ingredients, you have one recipe, and then people find like turned ways to do it, their little favorite bits, and how, you know, we're better at being cooks because we know how to mix and match things. So that's what we're doing. And I love that. I think if we talk about innovation, innovate the process, you know, innovate how you do the work and keep it fresh. Because if you just end up, I think one of the reasons people go from Scrum to Kanban to whatever the next big thing is each day is because we like change. We don't want to get stuck. We need to keep it fresh and innovate. So I think having a model which allows you to construct like the ultimate kind of Lego, um, you construct your model, that's kind of fun. I, I find it really, you know, for me, it, it's always different. I'm constantly doing things in different ways. And for me, that's that's really nice. Well, you know, over the last, you know, 10 years with Mobius, you built sort of a, a worldwide organization of coaches and, and out, you know, you know, talk about sort of the community that, that sprung up around uh, Mobius and how some of the different people are, are taking it and going in different directions with it. Yeah. And it's funny coming from you because how I, I actually read something Ryan had um, written that he had simplified some of Tom Guild's idea. He had a really visual tracker. Um, we met and I just started talking to him and went, wow, he's a really nice guy who's really knows his stuff and he's not dogmatic. Um, he's just one of those people and he was super willing to share. Same with Tom Gill, the amount of time he spent with me and I've been really lucky to have so many people just, you know, give me a lot of their ideas and help me along the way. And so I've always been big on how do we, you know, help others help others. All of us as many sort of coaches and consultants and things, and instead of going in and just charging a lot and, you know, taking our ideas and holding them close, how do we give them to the world? So the early days, you know, I, I consider you one of the nicest people I've met, Ryan. And, um, and I, I find the people we've attracted tend to be from a very open source mindset. They tend to be about sharing. They're really nice people who like giving ideas and they're not stuck on one way to do things. So I found the community over the years is really you know, lovely, and they're always willing to go out and just, you know, take these ideas and also innovate. I'm seeing a lot of the community now coming up with little games and fun things to do, stuff that for me, you know, when you work, especially when you work um, often independently, you've got your own company, you do sort of end up in your own world. And I find when you have to create more of a community-based model, then it's very different. And you want people to take stuff and run with it. That's actually one of the greatest pleasures is seeing people being able to use it. So I think where we can make things open source, make it shareable and get people to share ideas, you set up a really strong community. It means it's less likely to be um, taken over by money. As soon as it's proprietary and price tags and things, it, it gets a little dangerous. So trying to, all of us, being open to keeping it open, thats it's not always easy, but um, yeah. it's, it's a good community that way. You know, I think one of the early things in the Moby Sloop was making Creative Commons, making it freely available, download, and doing all that stuff and not trying to, to your point, make money on that, right? It's yeah. like, how do we give away that? Early in my career, my first company, um, they they ended up pivoting. They lost all, a lot of their financial backing. They pivoted and they basically said, we're going to generate and create open source and give it away. 
and then sell services on top of that. And this was in the late 90s, which at the time wasn't sort of a popular way of doing it. But I feel like, you know, as I see Mobius evolve, it's like, hey, we're going to provide these things and, and, and try to share the knowledge. And really, it's just a matter of, of, of monetizing when you want deep instruction in a workshop or follow on consulting. But really, there's a lot out there you can you can get and a lot of people can grab it and run. You know, they don't need to come in and, and buy courses and those sort of things. But it's been a very interesting way to see it evolve. Yeah, and that's the outcomes, right? It keeps us honest because yes. you think, well, and, and it is. Once you get clear about these outcomes that you want to help the world, you can then you can monetize off the back of it and creating a model that creates livelihoods for people. I've had um, so many companies. It's really fascinating. I found one the other day. I was in France for an open air conference in the time of COVID. This woman said, I've been using this for years. Look at my logo. And it was a little Mobius-like thing. She said, I've been transforming enterprise. She said, it's given me so much over the years. And I had no idea. And that was really quite gratifying that we've done that, Ryan, with the sort of stuff that's actually helping people. That's a good feeling, right? It is. So you, so you mentioned Tom, and, and he's been, you know, obviously an influencer of mine too. Who are some of the other influences or a key influence you've had throughout your career that's kind of guided um, sort of your, your, your thoughts and learnings here? Uh, this gets to one of the underpinnings, I think, for why Mobius um, incorporates all these different frameworks and practices. I've been really lucky because in the early days, um, I was friends with Ken Schwaber and was still and Jeff Sutherland, you know, the guys who created Scrum and I knew um, everybody, you know, the Poppendix, all these people um, who have just had great ideas. And I feel like that um, Alistair Coburn was actually the one when I was trying to get this a little more perfected and he just took a snapshot on the wall and I think I understand it, put it on Twitter and then it was kind of out to the world. So I couldn't hold back anymore. Uh-huh. And so um, I think, um, you know, and, and to this day, I'll speak to people like Dave Snowden from Kinevin and, you know, a lot of these ideas get folded in. So um, one of the guys, Curtis, in the community said, oh, you're a collector of people, like I'm a butterfly collector. <laughs> but I think, you know, I've, I, I can't think who hasn't influenced me in some way and the community themselves from you, you know, we have people all over the world who spend a lot of time and um, influences, I think, are people who, like to question and think deeply. That's something that I've been trying to bring out with this. Um, you can do a surface version, but it's getting people to think and deeply, deeply problem solve. So, you know, um, especially Tom Gilbin, the Poppendix have spent a lot of time going deeper with this stuff. Um, they've been pretty big influences. Yeah, so, so last thing is what are the current topics sort of on your list? Like, where do you see based on where things are now? What are those things that you're you're learning more about and, and pushing yourself on? Yeah, um, I'm Mobius myself because I was struggling. I had all these things that were keeping me super busy. Yeah. I wasn't feeling like I was getting anything done. And someone said, well, have you used Mobius? I went, oh, no, I really should. <laughs> so as soon as I laid it out, it became insanely clear that I was just, it was actually trying to make it too perfect was holding me back. So um, since I've just been trying to push things out with COVID, trying to do some, um, you know, pivots to, to make everything digital, that's been really interesting. So this morning I've been laying out the app and how we can make that accessible to people um, and getting the community to just give them the assets so they can take the stuff further too. So I think a lot is just how do you get things out fast and not, you know, don't worry too much about it. I tend to be a design perfectionist and uh, 
yeah, it's not it's not helping me reach the outcomes, but it's hard not to fall into that trap. It's easier. Oh, that's one of my biggest learnings is have your own coach. You know, whenever I have one of the community members help me, it's phenomenal when I try to do it myself on my own worst enemy. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think that's sometimes just a sharing with somebody else and just getting their feedback. And you're right, you realize I don't need to go nearly as deep on that. I can just entirely cut it off. This is sort of the direction. And a lot of times I've learned that gets me unstuck. A lot of times when I'm stuck into your point swirling around something, some of these conversations inform it and say, no, 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 stop that. Go in this direction. So, well, cool. So last important question of the day is what are you listening to these days you know as long as i've known you i don't think we've ever actually talked about um music and so uh what do you listen to these yeah days? that's that, that's a good question i actually pulled up spotify and i was looking at what i've listened to recently and it was pretty eclectic it was like this remixed nina simone but also because i'm in portugal and i'm connected to some people from one of the co-work spaces there's like all this brazilian and portuguese music and stuff that um it's actually pretty cool and so that was interesting and then one which you will really laugh but <laughs> i ended up watching eurovision i don't know if you've seen it on netflix it's so bad it's great it's just you know eurovision is just such a cult following in it they talked about schlager have you run across this term? No, okay no. So that, that started that rabbit hole and Schlager's like, um, imagine the worst sickly sweet pop songs possible. But if you look up Schlager, you can come across like Russian Schlager, you know, type music. Um, you know, the best of ABBA would be a kind of more, kind of better version of Schlager. But it's like that everything's happy, we're jumping around. That was classic. I, I, I'm kind of both impressed and super horrified by it. So, like, <laughs> Gabrielle, thanks for coming on. It's been a great uh, talking with you. We, we catch up every now and again, but it's awesome to have you on here. I appreciate uh, you coming on and sharing your time with That's us. Great. Great chatting. Awesome. All right. Take care. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.